Hi, I'm Han. And I'm Sheree. You're listening to It Just Got Real. So Sheree, what got real this week? Honestly, life. The whole of it. Life. Literally the whole of it. I mean, Chadwick Boseman passing was just kind of like the capstone to a week that was already shit, to be Mm -hmm. honest. To a year that was already shit. Yeah, like it was just like, damn. Even thinking about how January started with Kobe Bryant in this helicopter crash, you know? It was bringing back like flashbacks of like, was it like, 2016 when like all those celebrities died right at the end of the year yeah <laughs> right when trump was elected well yeah i was like please let it not be like that again this is already too much the crazy thing about chadwick and it's funny when i think about it was real because it was him and what he meant to the culture and particularly to black people mm-hmm. but what was very real about it was that I got the news from my son. Really? I was finally taking a break because I've had a really crazy work week in this all-raise fellowship thing and work. And so my current unplug is the Great British Baking Show. And <laughs> oh my so, God, that's so you. <laughs> it's so me. I know. So I was, you know, getting into an episode And then my son just comes out of the room and he's like, Black Panther died. And so I was just like, like two things were happening at once. I was like, fuck, I got to disable Apple News. Because I just hate the idea that like the internet is so on that Mm -hmm. I'm not able to manage the delivery of information to my child because it's just giving it to him right away. There's the moment of like Chadwick, which I do want to talk about more, but I think as a mother, I've just been feeling super stripped of my ability to protect my son's innocence in 2020. Mm -hmm. First I had to explain to him about Kobe dying. Then he had to leave school. Then the Rona. Now his first black superhero is dead. Like I'm just like, Jesus. Like, I just want him to be a kid. And I also have to tell him about why they're killing Jacob Blake or why they're trying to kill him. And it's it's just like, oh, I'm kind of like one overwhelmed by the world, particularly as a parent. Mm-hmm. And protecting innocence feels like the absolute most impossible job right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember both on an individual level and as a mom of a Black boy, like how excited I was about Black Panther and how well he did that role. Like I remember going with my son to see 42. Hmm. And that was the first time I was explaining to my son like what segregation and Jim Crow were like. And so in many ways, like this figure in Chadwick and these roles he portrayed were really like anchor moments through film that I got to share both Black history and a potential Black future with my 12-year-old son. Mm. When I thought about it that way, like 
film and movies, one of the things my son said to me just last week was like, I really miss going to the movies because the one thing we did like Mm. all the time was have like mommy son movie theater night. Like we would just, the movies was like our jam. Like we would first time something comes out, like we would just be at the movies. And so when he came in and he told me, you know, and he just had this face like, and then his, the thing he said next was like, yeah, so I've kind of just been, you know, looking up a bunch of articles about him. And then that bothered me. It was like, so he Mm -hmm. heard this news and now he's in like an internet rabbit hole about this. And I kind of just like wanted him to be able to come and be a kid and have like a, a real life reaction without like reflexing to the internet, you know? So it was... Yeah, like the rest of us adults. I mean, I was doing the same thing. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, I I just hated all of that. But then, you know, I came out and I said, let's not internet rabbit hole. Let's talk about like how we feel about this. And so we sat down on the couch and, you know, we were talking about cancer and he was saying like, why is it out of nowhere? And we had a conversation about like privacy and discretion and strength. And I was like, can you imagine what it was like going around the world, getting celebrated for like a huge, huge achievement, a kind of role that, you know, as an actor, I'm sure you like wait your whole life for. You just dream of, yeah. It's like beyond your dreams probably. And knowing that, you are terminally ill with cancer. Yeah. And for four years, knowing that and still pushing yourself and producing, but choosing not to share it with the world. Mm -hmm. And I was asking him, what did he think about that? And he was like, he's really strong. And I was like, yeah, it was like, you know, cancer, even early stage cancer can be debilitating let alone Mm -hmm. late stage. And so I was sort of explaining to my son about that and about how there's so many things we let get in our way. And it's like Michael Siebel was one of our speakers for this accelerator thing I'm in. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he said in his talk to us was kind of like, it's not that another person has it easier than you or knows how to go after something like better than you per se, but it's that the other person is probably better at doing hard things. You know what I mean? Like it's doing things that are harder to get to where they want to go. And being that, like I heard that that afternoon and then to find out about Chadwick That evening, it just made me think about, like, what are the things I'm, like, supposedly blocked because I'm not good at? What are the things that I'm not pushing for because there's some really hard thing I need to do? And it made me think, like, if the things I'm doing, as I say, are my life's work or the thing I'm passionate about, then how am I letting anything block me? or stop me, you know? Like, I really, I've just been thinking about that, like, all weekend. Like, Mm. this just, like, this man 
had stage three and then stage four cancer and was still making movies. Yeah, it's wild. He must have just been in so much pain. And he was still using his voice until like literally the very end. And I think about how we talk about how hard this is or how hard that is. And like he just made a choice not to tell any of us how hard it was. And I think outside of the like sheer admiration for the grit, I have a lot of respect for the privacy. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect also for like choosing what narrative to share because Mm -hmm. he could have talked about how hard it was and that would have been the dominant narrative. That's what would have been picked up by the news. And like, he didn't want that. And I can kind of get why. Like there was something bigger that he wanted it to be about. And that's so incredible. That's such an interesting choice. It's such a specific choice. Yeah, it's really specific. It's a choice that says like, my life will mean something Mm -hmm. as uncomfortable it is to know that it's getting cut short. Yeah. You know? And a choice that like the news about me is going to be about these films I'm making and this work and this like contribution to culture at a massive scale, not this illness that I have, which is like definitely what would have happened. Reporters would have been trying to cover that. And instead, now they have to cover, wow, he produced all this while having Mm -hmm. this and we had no clue. Yeah, which is kind of an amazing and much more incredible story. (laughs) It is. It's like he, he took on these mammoth roles about these people that left mammoth legacies and from the roles he took to the way he played them to the way he died. Like, he is there, right up there with, like, characters he played, real and imaginary. Like, I feel like that is the legacy he's left. And now people are uncovering the story of someone and even more curious about who he is and are discovering a man who had vision for the mark he wanted to leave for his whole life. And I think it's just like seeing what that could look like in a way that's not screaming out loud what you're dealing with and what, like, I don't know, something about that has just been sitting with me. So that's been, that's been on my mind. That was like the capstone to the week. I think, though, like, what you said about um, considering and, like, choosing what to say about things is actually, it's it's really interesting. And it, well, it makes me think of, like, how much maybe I share about how difficult things are. Maybe you share, like, our other friends, like, mm-hmm. how much we share on this podcast about yep. shit being hard. And is that always, like, the right way to go about it? And, like, on one hand, it is important to expose some of this stuff sometimes. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, like... What do you want the dominant narrative to be? And it makes me think a little bit of my grandmother, who's been really on my mind a lot this week, because this was this week was like the anniversary of her passing a couple of years ago. And like she was an incredible woman in business. And she just had this like get to it attitude about everything where like instead of complaining or not complaining, but instead of like exposing how difficult it was to have three kids and run a business in the 60s <laughs> as a woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> she just did it. She just did it. Like there was no mm. talking about how the gender discrimination she faced and how 
difficult it was to do what she was doing, which was also like really changing fashion for women. She was one of the first people to sell pants to women in the 70s, which is pretty dope. But like, wow. Yeah, it just makes me think a little bit about a specific decision like that. Like, what is the dominant narrative that you want people to know about you? Is it like you're on the struggle bus all the time or like, I don't know, you're just getting shit done. It's pretty fascinating. It really is. Like it really struck me in that exact way. I remember the moment I decided that I wouldn't tell new people I met about my childhood. Mm. And it was a very specific decision. It was part of a like self-examination process. And in my examination of self, I realized that as much as it was about like wanting to be transparent and honest about who I was, it also was a crutch Mm. that allowed me to like maybe get a little extra grace or a little extra. And like, maybe that's not what we always need. Mm. And so I made this decision that unless I was pretty close to you, that I didn't really need to share a whole bunch about my life. And that I wanted to just be judged on how it's showing up right now. And it really has helped me feel confident. It's helped me feel like respected. It's helped me Mm. feel like who I am can be judged on just who I'm being. And I don't need all these like extra points around this journey or that part of the journey or this, 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 this. And Mm -hmm. maybe... When I'm a super successful entrepreneur and all of these things, maybe then I'll want to like talk about the things. But this has really made me think about the how I share struggle. That makes sense. I mean, there's very few things in this life that we control, but one of the things that we can control is our narrative. Yep. We get to choose what story we want to tell about ourselves. Yep. Having moved around a lot, I think I did get conscious about my narrative because people are always like, oh, where are you from? And it's like, <laughs> it's such a loaded question. It's like, what do I say? New York, Canada. Like, right. it's just a mess, right? And that's not really what they're asking. They're really just trying to find a thing to like connect with you on. Yeah. Trying to like flip that right around and be like, cool, what's the thing I want to share about myself so I can connect with this person? But I definitely became a lot more conscious of it once I started pitching. And Mm -hmm. that is storytelling. That's just like all sharing a story about who you are and your company and why you built it and or started it, why you have this vision. And that was when I started to become a lot more specific about like which details I choose to share and which details I don't. Because, yeah, that's like one thing we have control over. Yep. And what we share will be what people remember. Mm Mm-hmm. What a week. What a week. And that was only one thing that happened. I know. Like, we can't not talk about the record scratch that is not only Jacob's Blake shooting. And, like, I wouldn't watch it. Like, I'm definitely not. I can't. Like, I just can't do it. I didn't. I couldn't either. I was like, the most I can do is listen to this on the news, but I can't. But then, like, how about the NBA? Like, the Milwaukee Bucks are so over it, and they were just like, nah. Yeah. The way that that went down was, in my opinion, like, levels of, like, what year were those? 1968 Olympics? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, to me, it was, like, that Mexico City Olympics level. I mean, especially with, like, all the pressure on the NBA as well, right? Like, the NBA, like, literally just started playing, like, what was that? Like, a week before or whatever in their, like, bubble in Disneyland, 
And so like, that's a whole thing that's been going on. And then in that particular moment, when like already the season is a mess, <laughs> a mess for them to be like, actually, hold up, we're not doing this. I was just like, damn, this is really powerful. And the fact that it wasn't like super premeditated. Yeah, it seemed like it just was like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I was reading ESPN Undefeated, which I absolutely love. Like if I'm doing any sports Wait, news. what? I didn't know this about you. <laughs> oh my God, I'm obsessed with the Undefeated on ESPN. Like super, super, <laughs> super oh my duper God, obsessed. That Masters of Scale and the Great British Bake Off. I had no idea. So I was reading the Undefeated and they had a lot of really interesting dialogue about what happened in the locker room and how it literally came down to this like, it wasn't like we're going to strike or we're going to cause a strike. It was just like the buzzer rang and they were like, yeah, we're not going out there. Like it was that, like they had a conversation among themselves and they had no regard and or expectation for what would happen next. They didn't know what Orlando was going to do. Like they had no clue. Orlando could have just taken the W and moved on in the playoffs. And that would have just been that. And instead, the Orlando Magic then say, we're not going to accept the forfeiture of the game. Which means, like, if they won't accept the forfeiture, that's when the dominoes started falling. And that's when other teams were like, well, then we're not going to, and we're not going to. And it literally spread like that. I mean, people can say what they want. Like, I saw Jared Kushner. Right. He makes this tweet and he's like, must be nice to get to pick and choose when you show up to work. And I just like literally wanted to jump through Twitter at that guy. But I was like, I can't. It's like actually It makes me want to punch him in the face. Literally. As if. Just go away. Those players have been through so much hell this year. I mean, like for real. (laughs) Right. And quite honestly, like, so what? They bust their asses like. They did a lot of hard shit as individuals to get to that level of play. Like things that not everybody's willing to do. Absolutely. That's what it takes to be in that like top five percentile is you have to be willing to do things that most people are not willing to do. Exactly. So there are penalties. There are fines. There are all these things. But it was also interesting to see the NBA figure out how to support these players while also knowing, like, striking is against the bargaining agreement, like, all these different things. And just, I don't know, like, even thinking back to Chadwick, like, we do get to decide. You know what I mean? We do get to decide. And I think they made a decision that, like, we have to remind the world that this is serious and we're not going to continue to it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the NBA is a part of Brand USA when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like when people think about America, they're thinking about basketball. They're thinking about like all these things are our cultural exports. And like for me, it's beautiful that they see that. Like this whole make America great again and all this other shit is mm-hmm. banking on the cultural capital. Oh, yeah. Someone's working hard at there. I mean, remember the boat flags? Like they have it like pinned down to a T what American culture is all about. Exactly. So I'm just like, you know what? Let them send this message. And I love the push. And I know some people are like, well, what does basketball have to do with But it has everything to do with it. Absolutely everything. That's why everyone's pushing to like for the season to go on right now. I mean, even just looking at it through the lens of 
economics alone, which is something that they care deeply about. Like there are billions of dollars on the line right now. Yep. I mean, think about the guy that's like the bench player on the team. Like that dude's not getting fifty million. Mm-hmm. That five million dollar fine is real. Think about the WNBA players that follows, and that was the other thing. All the other athletes that then follow the other teams, but it's just you know, the Jacob Blake's shooting was like we can't even get out the damn pandemic without this again. And like within months of each other. And the thing is, like these are the things that are getting reported, caught on film. We don't know what the hell is going on that's not caught on film. Man, I'm just like... (sighs) But then at the same time, it's like, you know what? These things are going on in the world. They're horrible. And I have to find a way to, like, lend my voice, be active, support, like, whatever I need to do on that front, while also knowing that, like, the biggest impact I can have right now is to like be a good mom and to try to make my company successful. Yeah. Those are the two things I can do. One, because yeah. the company I run has a direct impact on the community I care about, mm-hmm. but also because if I'm successful, then the things that I'm able to do from that do because of it become more. Yeah. I remember having this moment, like in the middle of the worst part of the pandemic, I just felt so helpless. And I was like, I should be doing something like I should be volunteering. Like I should be helping. And I, and I found myself Googling like American Red Cross and like Mm -hmm. volunteers and all this stuff. And then I was like, wait a minute, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like you barely have enough hours in the day right now to do your job. And like the thing that you need to focus on is making your company successful and taking care of the people that you employ with it. Mm. And it was a really hard conversation I had to have with myself because, like, I really I wanted to do more. But then there's, like, a moment where you have to, like, kind of, like, stop and look at, like, actually what's the highest and best use of my time right now. And what's, like, short-term versus long-term and all of that stuff. And, like, is this even a good idea for somebody like me? Like, God forbid something happened to me. Well, anybody, obviously, within trash, but, like, I do a lot of things there. It would be pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, some lighter things happened this week. Lighter things. Moving on to culture. Please. Culture moments. So the first one is, I listen to the news every morning. I like doing that. It's, like, part of my routine when I'm getting ready. And often I listen to the Daily from the New York Times, which I love. And I also subscribe to the New York Times, which people should do so that we get actual investigative journalism. I do too. But this week, like Friday rolled around and I was already like, fuck this week. And then they decided to like run an episode all on like Donald Trump Jr. And I was like, I just cannot. Like I got, I was like 30 seconds into it. I was like, I can't do this. So I switched to the BBC World Service, which I also love because as someone who's also British, I like the really dry technical reporting. I appreciate how it's so specific and unbiased in in their Mm. approach. And honestly, I think American media has so much to learn from that. And it's also global. And I like having a global perspective. Right. And so anyway, they're like talking about all sorts of things. You know, um, they're talking about the change in leadership in Japan and they're talking about other stuff that's going on in the world. And then they get to talking about apparently 
So the Central Bank of Jamaica has been trying to get messages out to the residents of Jamaica about inflation and about other things that are happening with banking and with currency. And so the way in which they've decided to share this message is with music, with reggae, uh-huh. because they just want people to know about it and to listen. And they're like, oh, well, you know, this message is kind of boring and people aren't, they're not going to listen to it. They're not going to pay attention. But like the one thing everybody in Jamaica is going to pay attention to is music. So I was just like, they played a clip of this song and it's like actually really catchy. And it reminds <laughs> me a lot of like being a kid and like watching those like educational programs on like PBS in like the late 80s where they'd be like teaching you about math concepts but there'd be like a hip-hop crew like Mm. do you know what I mean or like I'm just a bill yes I'm only a bill and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill but it's like this really catchy song and I was just like (laughs) I don't know what's going on right now but I think I love it and (laughs) I texted a friend about it who's Jamaican and I was like what do you think of this song from the bank and he was like honestly I haven't heard it yet like you know more about this than I do. I love it. Flex. Hand. I was like, I, Flex. Know, I just heard it on the radio. What's going on? <laughs> that stuff used to be like the wave. Like I think the closest thing we have to that is like Cardi B's coronavirus, and that clearly wasn't the government uh, yeah, making like, up the song. I mean, growing up as a kid in the '80s, like I feel like this stuff was everywhere. Like this is how we were being educated about. AIDS. This is how we were mm-hmm. ed- being educated about like math concepts. Like it was all like government through this lens everything. of like it was either I just remember like watching TV and it being like bright colors and like surfboards or like rap groups and like people in cool everything. sneakers trying everything. to teach me about like HIV through yes. music or something. Yes. With raps. Yeah. I'm like, what happened to all that? Maybe it's making a comeback. I wouldn't be mad at that. Well, clearly music it's making a comeback is an amazing in Jamaica. vehicle for explaining things to people. I think I'm supposed to go to Jamaica. This is the fourth time in one day Jamaica has come up. I did like a <laughs> one-on-one with one of our members and she was telling me about Jamaica. And then yesterday, I've just been on this Jamaica kick. So maybe I should move to Jamaica so I can hear this this Ministry of Finance song about inflation on the on yeah, the radio. The bank. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely send it to you afterwards. The other thing, speaking of music, is actually right before we got on to record, my friends were messaging me in our group chat being like, uh, so we're watching the VMAs and actually it's kind of good. <laughs> I was mm. like, wait, what? Like the VMA? First of all, I was like, where do I watch it? Because like, as someone who actually worked for MTV once, like, it's always locked up behind like some bullshit and you need like an actual television with like a cable plan. Right. And, like, I just end up watching it on Twitter and like, I'm curious about this stuff. I love pop culture, but I'm like, this is like too many, like, I can't even. And right. this year, it's just like streaming on their website. Like, you just go to it and like, you can start watching stuff. And I was like, wow, good for you for like figuring this shit out this year because this is the year that everybody needs to be entertained. So, like, bravo for finally figuring out how to like, focus on reach instead of dollars. So like, check mark, y'all. Welcome. But also it just like, it looks really cool. Like I only watched a few of the performances, but it's in New York and it's at multiple locations around the city and there's no crowd, right? Like normally what they do is like, because it's all shot indoors and it's meant to look like there's a big crowd. Cause I I went to the VMAs once in, in person. They like shoot it in a way where it's like totally made for TV. So like the crowd isn't actually that big. It's just like 
kind of like a bunch of people that are sort of pushed into a little triangle just for like the camera can like shoot them like right uh-huh. in front of the performer. But it's not actually like thousands of people. It's like hundreds of people. Okay. And then like a lot of celebrities and people sitting in the arena. But you get to really see how it's all shot for TV like in the moment. And it's a really interesting thing to watch in person because it like it's totally not like a normal performance at all. It's like very much like sitting backstage at a TV show where you're watching like a ton of cameras move around Mm. and like angles and being like, oh, that's how they made that look like that. It's Mm. like, it's really, it's fascinating. So I went one year in New York when it was at the Barclays Center, but yeah, this year, I guess it's at a bunch of different locations and of course no people because COVID. So it's just these performers like performing in these like really, like The weekend did this performance, which I know you have opinions. It's (laughs) it's the song that you don't like, Sheree, but uh, he's like on the edge of this building. I think it's like overlooking like the East River and it's just like, it's so beautiful and stark because there's like clearly the cityscape of New York below, but like no people and... Yeah, I don't know. I was actually kind of like taken aback. It was sort of cool. Like, I kind of want to go finish watching it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, this isn't supposed to be cool, but like, it sort of is. Okay. And That's I how think I felt the about thing the about it, like, since we're kind of having a nostalgic moment is, it just sort of felt like, oh, something is like ticking on with the world. Like, oh, this old awards show, it's like happening again. And it's actually kind of entertaining And it just Mm. felt like a little moment where, like, a bunch of people were watching it at the same time. And, like, we don't have any of that anymore with COVID. Like, we don't Mm -hmm. have, like, we don't have these moments where people are, like, watching something in an arena together. You know, like, everything's been canceled. And so it just felt, it just felt kind of comforting, like, in a, in sort of like a macaroni and cheese kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. I wish I could have some macaroni and cheese right now, but I want macaroni and cheese all the time. <laughs> I could eat it every day, honestly. Like it's one of the best things. I don't even know what I'm I only eat it, it once in a while. And something's like really wrong with me. If I'm eating mac and cheese, you should like definitely come give me a hug and be like, ah! what is going on? Because that's like the level. <laughs> that's hilarious. Is very wrong. <laughs> that's actually really funny. No, I felt that way about the BET Awards, which also mm. came out during COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely a moment where I have not watched a BET Award in years. And I was like, this is oddly kind of cool. And I mean, mm. I think Amanda Seals really glued it together and made it work. And I haven't seen the MTV VMAs, but there was a time when like TV got really weird. Remember I told you I finally started seeing The Voice for like the first time ever I watched The Voice during COVID. And then I was yes. so pissed because like midway through they went into like Zoomisodes and it was the worst and I was so mad. And so it, it's interesting to see like the arc from like how the hell are we going to do these live things virtually to like now MTV's figured out like a whole production for the weekend to be on a building in New York. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been enough months of COVID now that, like, I feel like we're all getting pretty good at this. I don't want to get good at it. I mean, I don't want to be good at it either, but, like, as they should, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to say. They like, should. as they should figure this shit out. I mean, like, good for I, them. it's six months. <laughs> That's the least you all can do right now in terms of your contribution to culture. And We've spent yeah. six months in a global health pandemic. Mm-hmm. Six months. I know. What is 2020 even? I don't even know, like, what... I'm not counting it on my are birthday. going to exist on the other side of this. I'm like, going to be 36 again. <laughs> no, I'm serious. 
Like, I just, I mean, what did I do to age myself with sitting you know, in the house You know, this is actually, I was having this conversation with my team the other day in our team meeting. We were like, Karina, she was like, can I just like, this year like didn't happen. Like, I didn't have any experiences this year. Like, I don't want to age another year. Like, this was like a lost year. Like, I didn't, I didn't go outside and do anything at all. And I was like, yep, yeah, I, I feel think all that. that. There is a lot of inner work that's happened this year. That's true. I think the whole world, hopefully, has gotten some some inside stuff done. Yeah. I mean, I have definitely. It's been good for me in, like, a weird way, and I've accomplished a lot, even though I don't want that to sound like, oh, I was a productive during the pandemic, because, like, fuck that shit. But, like, right. in a weird way, it was good for me, even though it wasn't comfortable. And I say was, like it's over, but it's totally not. I mean, totally this weekend, not. I've been like trying to figure out how to visit my family over the holidays. Oh my God. It's like so complicated. Oh my God. You have to actually leave and go to Canada. It's so much worse. I need to like quarantine for 14 days in Canada when I get there. It's like the law right now. Like it's a whole thing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I can't like quarantine with my parents because they're, that's not cool. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> literally like looking at airbnbs like outside of my hometown i'm like this is the stupidest thing i might ever spend money on in my life but i'll figure it out that will be another podcast episode it will it will i think it'll mm -hmm. be fun well we should wrap this we should give us some takeaways Trey. well i guess the first is really one around choose your own story and that's really direct from chadwick boseman Rest in power. I think he did the ultimate decide the story I'm telling. And I think that's something all of us should really, really take on, especially those of us who have a road ahead that's not easy. Let's decide how we share our hardships and our struggles and to what end and to what purpose and make sure like the intent in there is something that we would want to be a part of our story. That's probably the first one. I think the second one is really around, like, we really can do anything we want to. And it's really just up to us on how hard we're willing to work at the things that are really hard. Whether you want a six pack and a firm booty, or you want to build a multi million dollar company, like whatever it is, there may be obstacles, but you have to decide if you want it enough to go through them. And I say that to myself just as much as I'm saying it to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last one is just around legacy. Mm. I know for me, thinking, about legacy, not just in like the body of work I leave behind, but in like the like how people remember me. Mm -hmm. Like I think the thing that's been beautiful about Chadwick is like no one has had anything bad to say. And that's really special. It really is. Especially for a celebrity when like people love – Mm -hmm. Just finding anything that they can drag a celebrity for. It's really, really special. It's really incredible. That's it. That's the show. That's the show. Stay safe, everyone. And tune in next Thursday. 
If you have a question or a comment, please hit us up on social media at GotRealPod on Twitter, Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So Bye. long. <laughs>